Let's clap. It's good to be in God's house. <laughs> Family, how you doing today? You doing all right? You doing good? It's good to see you. You're awfully quiet today. Are you doing all right? And um, I'm glad that you're here. If you're here for the first time, welcome. We are, as a family, very glad that you're here today. Those joining us online, our family at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Let's show them some love. Clap for them. <laughs> Grateful for you. Pastor John started this uh, conversation, this series that we're going to cover through the month of July, this series of bad ideas, bad ideas. Anyone ever have a bad idea before? Anybody? You know what I think is so funny about bad ideas? You never begin saying, I have the worst idea um, ever. It's usually, um, it's like, hey, I have the best idea, the best idea. And I know growing up, you have like the silly ideas. For me, it was always the pranks gone wrong, the pranks gone wrong. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had some of those where you're like, I'm going to do something funny. We're just going to play a prank. It's going to be the best idea ever. Um, and then you do it. And then it goes horribly wrong. And in your mind, you're processing. And this is, the, this is what normally happens is you say to yourself, I didn't think this through. <laughs> or I didn't, think all, I didn't think of all the possibilities of what could happen. I remember when I was younger, we went away to like this church camp and um, there was a bunch of leaders in this canoe. And I was like, it would be hilarious if I flipped this canoe, you know? It would just be funny. Isn't it funny? Like you see it on TV, you're like flip the canoe over and they just, uh, you know. And so I did, and um, I never thought that I would put the lives of the leaders in jeopardy because they were unable to flip the canoe back over, and it just basically filled with water and began to sink, and that most of them were unfit and unable to swim back to shore, <laughs> which I thought was still really funny. They did not. <laughs> um, I remember one time I was at a party and someone thought it was a great idea to bring out bottle rockets. And, um, you know, they're fun. You light them and they just, you know, shoot. And I was like, well, how boring is that? Why don't we hold them in our hands, light them? If your child's here, I'm sorry. I had to tell the story. And um, I, was like, I was like, we'll hold them and we'll throw it right before it takes off. Isn't that a great idea? And like, we were with our buddies and we're like, dude, that is such a good idea. This is how it all starts, right? It starts with like great idea. So I'm like, all right, let's do it. So we're holding it, holding it. Don't throw it yet. Don't throw it yet. Because if you throw it too soon, that's problematic. It goes up and then it goes down and just shoots in the ground. So you got to hold it. It has to be at the perfect time. And, and I'm counting. I'm like, three, two. Because you can't hold it too long. It'll burn your hand off. So I'm like, here we go. One, two, three. And I throw it up. And I'm like, this is the best idea. Literally, as it's in the air, I'm still thinking to myself, this was a great idea. And then all of a sudden, it starts to go down a little bit. And right when it starts to get about level, it takes off, shoots into the side of a shed, busts through the siding, and explodes and catches the shed on fire. <laughs> and I remember the, the homeowner, the parents were away, and, this, and we were having a little gathering at the home at the time. And I remember the person come running out, and they're like, what happened? I was like, you're not going to believe some idiot <laughs> threw a bottle rocket. Your shed's on fire. You should get the hose over there. <laughs> Sometimes in life, we, we, we go through life and we have these bad ideas, and, and sometimes we don't like to talk about them because it reflects poorly upon ourselves and the stupidity that we have and just what we thought was a good idea, which ultimately turns into a bad idea. Now, scripturally, this is quite significant because the Bible, particularly the Apostle Paul in his writings to the church of Corinth, he writes 
to the church and he says, listen, some of you are believing things and you have believed things in your mind and those thoughts have turned in over time to strongholds, fortresses, basically meaning you, you are believing something that is not true and a stronghold is, is a powerful thing. A stronghold is a fortified, protected place. But the thing is, the Bible says that Christ is our fortress in our time of need, but it also says that we have been given divine weapons to demolish strongholds. So we know according to scripture that strongholds can be both good and fortresses, and they can also be bad. And so how do we, how do we cultivate within ourselves um, this willingness to kind of assess what we believe according to the standards of God's ways. Now, I wanna talk through some things with you today because this is the difficulty. Growing up in church, I wanna make this very practical for you today. We're gonna talk about three specific things and I want you to practically analyze these steps in your own life to determine whether or not you are believing something that is not true. Now, it's difficult because, and this is why I love what James says in James chapter 1, verse 22. He says, do not deceive yourselves into thinking you can merely be hearers of the word, but you must do what it says. And it's hard when you're deceived to identify if you're deceived because you're deceived. Do you know what I'm talking about? You just don't know, and so you just believe it. You just believe it. And not only, it's Paul saying it's beyond a belief and a thought, it's beyond these speculations. It's beyond lofty ideologies. It has now become a stronghold. And the reason he describes it that way is because he says, it's become so fortified in your life that you defend it. Meaning this way, you don't allow people to question it. Now, now this is important because there's two ways to discuss this. There's ways in societal things, and this is typically what we do as, as believers. We always want to look at the macro and never the micro because the micro is us in our own journey. And how many of you know it's always easier to talk about the problems in society than it is our own problems? Can I get an amen? No, I was just kidding. <laughs> so it's like society's so bad, and you're like, amen. And what about your life? Don't talk about my life, you know? <laughs> and so what I want to do today is I want to identify societal beliefs and ideologies that have happened in such a way that we can recognize now what some people thought was a good idea is not a good idea, and the same thing is happening today. But then also there's the personal side of it is what do you believe or have believed or are still believing that is contrary to the word of God but has become a stronghold in your life that you defend it? Now, just to make things very practical, one of them could be this, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. It's a very simple thing, and, 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 but unforgiveness, I've, I've been in church my whole life, and I've admired people in their walk with Jesus, and I've overheard at times in my journey with the Lord, believers say, who I thought were very mature, yeah, you know, God is so good, God's great, and then overhearing conversations, but that one person, I'll never forgive them. And now in my journey with the Lord, I've recognized that as a stronghold. It's a stronghold. It's a stronghold. They've literally convinced themselves that they are no longer under the authority of God as it pertains to the area of unforgiveness, meaning that they should forgive because the Bible says you should forgive because you have been forgiven much. 
So it doesn't talk about whether they're worthy of forgiveness. It says you were unworthy of forgiveness, but you have been forgiven, therefore you should forgive. But isn't it fascinating that we can convince ourselves, beginning with a thought or a seed in our mind, and it can grow to a place of a stronghold. I wanna begin reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, um, verse three. This is what Paul writes. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we... He says, we, meaning those who are in Christ. So if you're here today and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, this does not pertain to you. This does not pertain to you. You can do as you wish, but for those who have surrendered their life to Christ, you are a son and daughter of the King of Kings. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. This is not your home. You are merely a pilgrim passing through. Heaven is your home. Can somebody say amen? Okay, so this is for those who are in Christ. We, as sons and daughters of the king, we do not, everybody say do not. We do not war according to the flesh. That means that you and I, we do not fight against a earthly adversary. We fight against a spiritual one and therefore we don't wage war according to our flesh, to the desires we have. So the Bible says, love your adversaries and your enemies. Pray for them. Now, just, I'm just trying to break it down. I always need the cookies at like the bottom shelf just so I can understand scripture. I just need it to be simple. It's basically like this. It's, it's someone says something about your mom or your spouse. N- not a good thing, okay? Some of you are like, oh, they gave him a compliment. Great. No, no, like something bad. What is your natural desire? Pray for them. Come on, True North, is it to pray for them? Like, or is it to lay hands on them in Jesus' name? You know what I mean? So what is it? It's like, and this is what Paul's saying. He's like, listen, your old self had a reaction, but you are dead to that. You are no longer bound to sin. You've been redeemed. You've been set free. So when people say, oh, I just have this desire, it's like, no, 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 that was your old self. And so Paul's writing to the church and he's saying, listen, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, strongholds, because we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that raised itself up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so this is how he teaches the church to confront ideas and ideologies. When we hear this, it's so easy for us to dismiss the practical implications of what he's talking about here. Let me break it down for you. I would, um, I'll generalize and say it this way, that almost every single one of us in this room at some point in the last 48 hours has had a thought enter into our mind that was dishonoring and displeasing to God. What did you do with that thought? So you're like, well, what are you you talking about? What does that even mean? What did I do with it? I don't know. It's gone. You know, it's, it's not there. (laughs) I've thought about a million other things. What do you, no, no, no. What did, what did you do? What did you, what did you, how did you respond to that thought? Paul's saying that to merely move on in thought or pretend that it wasn't there is not a sufficient way to confront that thought. 
It's not all right just to have a thought of lust, greed, pride, arrogance, unforgiveness, bitterness, rage, envy, discontentment, whatever it may be, go in your mind about someone or something, think about it, dwell upon it, and then just move on. This is usually how things begin. And this is the power of it. I want you to think of it this way. It's as if that thought, and you have to think of it this way, is a seed and your mind is the garden. And when you refuse to confront and hold every thought obedient to the word of God, it's like you allowing the enemy to sow seed in your mind and just leaving it. And then over the course of time, it begins to grow. But if you don't deal with the seed, the moment it enters into your mind, you're setting yourself up for a battle in the future while you could deal with something right now in the present. For many of us, like for me, it's very, it's fascinating because I never fully understood, nor did I comprehend what Paul was writing here. And over, over time, I've realized that even when it seems insignificant to you because you're busy, it's just too much going on, I just don't wanna deal with it, every thought that comes into your mind, you should pray and hold it to the obedience of Christ. And we're gonna talk about more about how I do that and I wanna help you in that. Bad ideas become strongholds. They begin in our mind as thoughts and impressions. But the Bible says, and Paul writes here, that we are to take it captive and we are to demolish the strongholds piece by piece. Piece by piece. Um, Every time we gather, and you know this family, at the end of our time today as well, we'll give people an opportunity to connect with God. And I will share with them the verse found in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, that if they confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the grave, they will be saved. The scripture continues on and it says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Now, salvation or to be justified with God is not this working out process. This is, I've recognized that because of my sin, I am separated from God. Therefore, I need to come before God. I need to believe in my heart that, God, that Jesus is who he declares himself to be. I need to confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in my heart. And the Bible says that in that moment, I am made right with God. My standing is right. And you might say, well, what did I do? Nothing but come in alignment and agreement with the authority of heaven as it pertains to your salvation. Christ has finished it, the work is done, and you're a child of heaven. The Bible says the same power that raised Christ from the grave lives in you. Now, this is where where the work comes in, I should say. Do you remember when God called the Egyptians out of slavery? He used Moses to go to Pharaoh and after the plagues and he called the people of God out. He's he's brought them out. He's saved them from slavery. They were no longer bound and enslaved. But there's another process. And when you're saved, the Bible says you're sanctified. Sanctified. I, I often would say it, and I think it was inappropriate in some sense, but I'll also say sanctification isn't as much as a process as it is an assignment. Sanctification means to be set apart for a specific purpose. So when you say yes to God, you've been set apart for a specific purpose. But when Moses had the Egyptians in out of slavery set apart for God's plan and God's purpose, 
something unique transpired. The moment problems came, something fascinating became, uh, started to, you started to see the evidence of it in Scripture. When, when, when Pharaoh sent the army to, to trap the Israelites before God would open and part the seas, the, the people of God that were just in bondage for 400 years seize an adversary. And what do they say, what do they say to Moses? They said, it would be better for us to be back in slavery than to die here in the desert. And over the course of time, you realize something. Though they were no longer slaves, they still thought like slaves. They still talked like slaves. They still acted like slaves. And so to be delivered from things is an ongoing process. And I know when you hear deliverance, you think like horror film, like deliverance. No, no, no. I'm talking being delivered from a lie that you've believed about yourself, about God, or about other people. And it's exactly how the, the Egyptians thought, they believed, and they acted. And so when we read the word of God, what it's doing, it is reshaping us. It's refining us. It's delivering us from thoughts that the enemy uses to hold us bound with. Can you say amen? The first layer of this is the thoughts and the impressions. We get this idea, this, this small seed that is planted in our mind. And I remember it was probably a year and a half into marriage. I, I was, you know, marriage for, for Liza and I in our first year was, uh, it was, it was hard. It, it really was. It was challenging and, uh, and we knew God was going to get us through it, but it still was difficult. And, and God was getting us through it, and we were starting to have some victories, and we were excited. And, and then I remember one day, this tiniest little and the strangest thought came through my head. And this is all it was. I'm not kidding you. This is all it was. She's going to leave. And I was like, who's going to leave? You know? And I never thought anything of it. And that one little seed began to manifest itself. And can I say, for no reason. My bride didn't do anything for me to think that thought. There had nothing that had transpired for me to think that or to believe it. But once you allow something in your mind to just stay there, you're essentially allowing an adversary. It's like, it's like you have the door open and you have a thought and the adversary puts his foot in the door and you go to close it. But if you don't move his foot, the door is going to stay open. And that, Paul writes in Ephesians, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. A foothold means that he has his foot in enemy territory. He has power or position in places that he should not. And so I didn't think anything of it. I just kind of let it go. Well, that thought and that impression would lead me to speculations and arguments, just as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. And so speculations and arguments, they use that, that term arguments or speculations in different translations, but it literally means to dwell upon the thought that you had. So you have a thought in your mind, but then you start to speculate about it. And you start to think like, well, what if she does? So you've moved beyond the rationalization of where did this come from? Or you don't even consider that, but you just take the thought that comes in the mind and you begin to kind of wrestle with it. And it's really the what ifs. It's these false prophecies that you begin to kind of wrestle with in your mind. Well, what if this happens? And what if this happens? And the, before you know it, 
that one seed, that small little thought can cause you to lose sleep, not to eat, to be filled with fear, to worry. And and you might be saying, I don't know how I've gotten to this place. It's because that little thought that came into your mind was never dealt with. And what I always find fascinating about this is that this speculation, this what if can exist in two fronts. It can exist in the what if something bad happens, meaning, you know, what if I lose my spouse or what if I lose my job or what if I lose the house or what if I lose my health, whatever it is. And, And we allow the enemy to kind of beat us up in this what if false prophecy speculation that we have and we never confront it. We just let it play on repeat in our mind and it affects us. It affects us physically, emotionally, mentally. But then in the same sense, I've met, I've met believers who have acted in, in unforgiveness, lust, adultery, and they're living in sin, but they're speculating in that place, well, could I just stay here? Does it really matter? What are the consequences? I mean, I've been going to church for this long and I've always done things this way. And what you're ultimately saying is, is that because I've existed this long in this place, it's all right. I mean, I can't imagine for 400 years, generation after generation being enslaved and thinking the same way over and over and over again. But the word of God is the only thing that can demolish strongholds in our life and set us free. The third layer of this verse is saying lofty things. These lofty things are ideas or opinions which lead to an ideology. And this is you kind of developing opinions or ideologies that sort of have structure to them. You almost play it out. And what I find fascinating in this is Christians do this, but they play it out in such a way that says, well, it's not God's best, but it's better than this. Have you ever done that? Like, I know it's not like what God says, but it's way better than that. And so what you're doing in your mind, you're convincing yourself, well, it's not the worst, but it's not the best, but it's kind of in the middle. Well, as sons and daughters of the king, that's not where God has called you to live in the middle. He's called you to live under the authority and under the blessing and under the stewardship of of God's word. That's where he wants you to be. And so this is hard. This is, this is ultimately where we're left with when you have a thought that leads to speculations, it leaves a lofty ideologies, then you're left with strongholds, strongholds. And they are very strong, <laughs> very strong. So much so that you can become angry in the defense of them. Think about one thing in your life that you get angry about when someone brings it up or you have to defend or you start arguing about. I remember every time we had to confront someone who was living in sin, what was fascinating to me is that when they were young in their walk with the Lord, repentance and, and kind of this sense of, man, I, I'm sorry, forgive me, I, I, I didn't know. There was such a place of wanting forgiveness before God. But when you talk to someone who had been in church for a really long time, deliberately living and walking in sin. Man, they had went on every YouTube channel. They downloaded every Bible translation. They read every book that they possibly could to justify the behavior and the position they were in. 
And then they would always say, yeah, but so-and-so is is in adultery and so-and-so, and you see how that is. Don't look at me, look at everybody else. And this is what I want. I, I ne- you never find victory by looking at other people's brokenness. You only find it by looking to Jesus and running to Jesus and humbling yourself before him. And there's some things in our, in our life, I don't stand on this platform today saying that I, I have nothing wrong, I have no sin in my life. There are thoughts that I'm constantly refining before God, saying, God, help me with my patience. Help me with my anger towards this situation or that situation. God, help me in a fallen, broken world represent you well. The Bible says that when a thought comes, we take it captive. We take it captive. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our mind. How is my mind renewed? Our mind is renewed through the hearing of the word of God. And some of you, your mind is being renewed, but it's by Fox News or CNN or other things. And that's not being renewed to a place that's going to give you freedom and hope. It's not to a place that's going to encourage you in your faith. That's going to enable you to walk with peace and joy and hope. And can I say something to you? As sons and daughters, it's, man, what God gives us, he gives us not to just hold and carry but he gives it to us so that we can be carriers of his hope and grace so that we can ultimately be vessels of it. Vessels of it. You know what that means? It's like, all right, if you found hope in Jesus Christ, man, let yourself be a conduit of hope to so many people in your world. Let yourself be a conduit of grace, a conduit of freedom, a conduit of salvation to all the people that God has placed in your world. And in the Western ideology. It's like, well, I'm good. That's all that matters. That's not the commission on your life. God says that each one of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation. It means to restore back, to help people who are far from God be restored in the relationship with the father. And what role do we play in that? We don't save people, but we introduce them to the one who can. And his name is Jesus. Amen. And that's what God does with us. (laughs) We take that thought captive. If a thought comes in my mind, whether it's a lustful thought, whether it's a thought of fear, whether it's a thought of anxiety, whatever it is, this is ultimately what I say. I could be in the middle of a staff meeting. I could be backstage. I could be up front worshiping. doesn't matter where I am. This is what I say, and I say it out loud all the time. I said, God, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke that thought. That's not who I am. That's not who you've called me to be. I am dead to my past. I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm a child of God. I say that all the time. I say that all the time. And you could think, well, pastor, that's a little extreme. I don't want to give the enemy any foothold in any area of my life. But listen, some of us, when you're angry, you want to stay angry. It's the desires. When you're, when you're offended, you want to stay offended. Now, I'm telling you, this is how the, your enemy works. You feel good where you are. This is what James says. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by the evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. And can I say that that's not just always related to issues of lust and sexuality. That can be related to, hey, you were offended. Be offended. Be angry. Be frustrated. Be envious. Be discontent because you should be. And you go, you know, right? I should be. I should be that way. And then all of a sudden you step into it and in moments it gives you this sense of satisfaction. It gives you this pass to say, you know what, I should be angry. 
I should be frustrated. I should be overwhelmed. And this is what James continues to say. He says, then after the desire you have has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. So at the beginning, you don't think much of it. You think, well, this is just my reaction to offense. This is my action to unforgiveness. This is my reaction to greed or to lust or to whatever it may be. But once you allow that desire to be conceived, it will ultimately give birth when it's full grown to death. So James says, that's why he says, don't be deceived. Because he's telling the church, some of you hear the word, but you're not walking in it. And there's freedom in walking in it. And I want you to walk in that freedom. I don't want you to be bound by lies and deceit from an adversary. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every, listen to this, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows of time. Every lofty idea and opinion, we tear down these ideologies one brick at a time. Whether it becomes issues of sexuality, abortion, marriage, evolution, humanism, postmodern thinking, mysticism, whatever it may be, we pull down these demonic ideologies. And why are they demonic? Because ultimately it's us telling God we have a better idea. As every one of these is ultimately us saying, hey God, we got your plan, but we have a better one. And it's subtle. It's subtle. It sounds good. It promises everything, but it ultimately leads to destruction and death. So how do we fight against this? We take every thought captive. We hold it to the obedience of Christ. We ask the Holy Spirit, every one of us today should ask the Holy Spirit to point out areas in our life that are strongholds, that are dishonoring to God. Can I tell you something? You don't need someone to come and, and tell you. You need the Holy Spirit to come to you. And he will. And say, Holy Spirit, what areas of my life do I need refinement in? Some of it, it might just begin in the way that you treat your spouse. It could just be the way you treat your children. Your attitude at work. Maybe it's just your outlook on life. You forgot that this is not your home. You're so worried about finding comfort in this place that is not your home. And God says, this is not your home. Don't forget it. Your place in heaven is far greater than this, but while you're here, you're on mission for the kingdom. In our moments left together, will you bow your heads and close your eyes? You could be here and you've never connected with Jesus, never surrendered your life to him. And if that's you, and if you're joining us online, I'm talking to you as well. The Bible is clear about salvation. It says that every single person that walks this earth must be born again in order to spend eternity in heaven with God. Now you might ask me, what does it mean to be born again? Well, Jesus, in his, dis in his discussion with this man by the name of Nicodemus, says that for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world. Now, you may ask, what do I need to be saved from? The sin in your life, my friend. The sin separates you from God. And you might immediately do what I just spoke of moments ago. You say, well, I may have sin, Pastor, but I know people that are a lot worse than I am. Scripture teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous. But if you've committed one sin, you might as well have committed them all. One sin or all the sins will keep you separated from God for all eternity. And so God devised a plan. He sent his one and only son from heaven to earth to live a perfect life 
to die a death that you and I deserved so that we could live a life that we don't deserve. And so what does Jesus ask of you? He ultimately, at the end of this life, you'll be asked the question, what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? And I pray in this moment, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, that you would consider doing so today. For everyone else who is a child of heaven, we've recognized that sin separates us from the Father and that we can't pay for the penalty of our sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. It says in Ephesians 2.8 that salvation is by grace through faith. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. You can only receive it. So in this last moment we have, we're gonna say a prayer, a prayer of salvation. If you're here today watching online and you wanna receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, repeat this prayer after me. So come on, True North family. Let's, let's lead people to Jesus right now. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Heavenly Father, I receive your son Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and conquered sin and death. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's clap for everybody that said yes. Come on, family, stand to your feet. If you said yes to Jesus, I want you to know it is by far the greatest decision you could ever make in your life. And we have a gift for you as you exit today. Um, and if you're joining us online, let the pastors in the chat know that you made a decision. We'll send you a copy of this. And um, we have a team out in the lobby. As soon as you go out of, the, uh, out of the lobby, you turn to your left, you'll see people waving these Bibles. It's New Testament Bibles. There's material in here. How to find connection in this family. And we would love for you to be part of the family here um, when we say family, we mean all the good of you and all the bad of you. <laughs> and so if you want to know if you are too screwed up to be here, you're not. Um, we're all broken, screwed up people, but we run after a perfect, saving, graceful father in heaven. Amen. And um, I want you to know that how God refines us is with the authority of his word. We believe in absolute authority and absolute truth. We don't believe we live in a gray area. We believe there is right and there is wrong. And who describes what is right and wrong? God does in his word. And someone said to me the other day, they said, oh, that church, you know, they talk about this, they talk about that, and you have to be this. I suppose if you have a problem with God's authority, you'll have a problem with this house. And, and I don't say that to have a one-liner. I say that because I want you to know that I've submitted myself to the authority of this because I ultimately believe at the end of my life, I don't stand before any of you. I love you. I really do, but I stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I just want to remind you today, so do you. And so surrender yourself to the authority of God. And if you're here today and maybe your life is, is not where you want it to be, can I encourage you again to ask the Holy Spirit, maybe there's ideologies and strongholds that you have in your life that you've never allowed someone to speak into. And I believe through the grace and the tenderness of the Holy Spirit will lead you to recognize the areas in your life that you've been misled. I mean, it's a journey to fight out of them, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. Um, will you stretch your hands to heaven? Let me pray for you before we go today. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your guidance, for your love. Father, I pray that you would help us in this season. Holy Spirit, speak to each one of us. 
Speak to each one of us, Holy Spirit. Point out the strongholds and the areas in our life where we could have been misled by an adversary. Father, may no weapon formed against us prosper. Greater is he who lives in us than he who is in the world. Father, may we leave today filled with hope, filled with faith, filled with confidence in you. Go with us as we go today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And a faith-filled church said, amen. Amen.